Welcome back to our mini-series on the opioid epidemic, brought to you by the IFF Health and Safety Division. My name is Sarah Burns, Behavioral Health Specialist at the IFF. In this episode, we're talking about compassion fatigue and how it relates to the opioid epidemic. We have Dr. Susie Bird-Gulliver, a licensed clinical psychologist and the director of the Warriors Research Institute in Waco, Texas. Dr. Gulliver, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. It's nice to be invited. To start us off, could you tell us a little more about your background and your work with firefighters? Sure. I've been working with fire service in my career for over 20 years. The way that I got into working with fire service was we were interested in studying the effects of trauma on occupational health and safety. And we were working largely with veteran populations and realized that firefighters were exposed for 20 plus years to the kinds of trauma that soldiers were exposed to. And so we started to reach out um, at that time to Boston firefighters and see how we could be of service to them. And what are the effects of the opioid epidemic on firefighters? The opioid epidemic has affected fire service, particularly in the types of medical calls they're taking. Firefighters are responding to similar sites over and over again because of repeated overdoses, and that creates a different kind of stress. It's a a stress that forces firefighters to look at what their understanding of addiction is, and the opioid crisis with our ability to overturn um, overdoses has allowed us to be pretty sure we had a save and then only to find out a few days later that the person's addiction is again laying claim to their life. So it's a different challenge. It's, it's not the kind of acute crisis that firefighters can walk away from feeling like they've made a difference. And so it calls for a different kind of training and a different kind of awareness regarding the potential lethality of substance abuse. So what is the emotional toll of responding to opioid overdoses over and over again? That's a very good question. We don't have a great research base to help us understand this, but what we do have are some survey data that came out of Vancouver fire. And those survey data show that there are two directions that firefighters can go. And one direction is in the direction of higher job satisfaction, higher understanding, higher uh, appreciation for what a challenging disease it is when people are addicted to opioids. The other direction is to become more stigmatizing regarding addiction. And for those firefighters, the ones who who take a very critical view of the problem of addiction, those firefighters are more likely to report low job satisfaction, burnout, fatigue themselves. So it really is a disorder that's common in the culture right now that splits the field where firefighters can move in the direction of of feeling like the work that they do is valuable and important or move in the direction of feeling like the work they do is futile. And I think that this represents an opportunity for us in the peer support world to develop better education 
that might maybe affect this stigma problem. The stigma problem really does contribute to firefighters losing their enjoyment of their job. And uh, if you if you think about it, the opioid crisis is actually building in secondary and tertiary effects for emergency responders, even if they themselves are not directly affected by opioids in the work that they do, they're ending up with um, a lot of secondary and tertiary consequences. There are a lot of behavioral health terms that are used uh, when referring to the fire service. Things like compassion fatigue, burnout, and secondary trauma. Um, could you help us understand what those terms mean and how they're different from one another? The three terms are often used interchangeably and that's unfortunate because they really mean three different things. They're not independent of one another. The three terms that you just used are related to one another, but each has its own meaning. So let me start with compassion fatigue. We say that someone is experiencing compassion fatigue when their ability to relate to the people that they serve or help is diminished. We say that someone has secondary trauma when the things that they have heard about, the traumatizing things that they've heard about, are affecting their experience of the world. So it wasn't their trauma, it wasn't the trauma they showed up to help with, but because they heard about these horrible things, they're now experiencing symptoms in their life. So they were traumatized secondarily. Burnout is all the way at the end, and it's, it's a combination of these symptoms gathering momentum. And firefighters become burned out when they've lost all enthusiasm for the job, when they no longer feel like they can perform well at work because they are so exhausted in terms of the work that they do um, and in terms of their ability to feel good about the work that they do. So these three different states are, as I said, related to each other, but they're different benchmarks along the continuum from the beginning state of compassion fatigue to the intermediate state of secondary trauma to the full-on condition of burnout where people can't even work anymore. So let's really focus in on compassion fatigue. How would somebody know if they have compassion fatigue? What are some of the signs and symptoms? The signs and symptoms of compassion fatigue can be as mild as just a slight irritability, declining interest in self and others, or it can be as profound as seeing or witnessing or hearing about a really terrible event and having no emotional response to that whatsoever. After people have had a large exposure to a lot of trauma, they tend to become pretty hardened. But with compassion fatigue, they may actually not only be unable to feel empathy and understanding of others, they may be unable to feel the normal positive emotions that they used to feel. So a person with compassion fatigue sees a really adorable puppy and they used to train dogs and they look at it and they're like, eh, so what? Or a person with compassion fatigue is 
in a relationship and they're expecting a new baby in their family and they just don't have any enthusiasm for that at all. And in the past, they would have. Can you give an example uh, like what you just gave, but related to responding to somebody who's overdosed on opioids? A firefighter who's uh, working the ambulance gets a call to a neighborhood that has a lot of drug trafficking and a lot of drug use in it. And when he or she first starts their job, they run to the ambulance, they get in, they, they go, and they're pumped to get the challenge of the medical emergency. And when they arrive there on the scene, they're at that very strong um, kind of perfect sense of arousal that where they're able to do all the things that they're supposed to do on a medical call. And their emotional valence is, is very positive. They're eager to do their job. After five calls to that neighborhood in one shift and 10 shifts, the alarm sounds, they hear the call, and they find themselves thinking something along the lines of, it's probably just another overdose. And they feel irritable and they feel tired and they feel like, why are we saving these people? That would be a very strong case of compassion fatigue. Thanks for that example. I'm sure we've got members listening to this podcast who might be in that place, you know, who might be really experiencing compassion fatigue right now or have in the past or certainly will in the future. What should those members do? So the first thing I think that, that everyone needs to do regarding compassion fatigue is, is check in on whether they're resting appropriately, whether they're rejuvenating themselves in their non-work time. That's not actually a automatic or a highly um, conditioned thing. Rest is something that we uh, do not value as much as we, as we should. So the first thing for compassion fatigue is to, to really look at whether people are getting enough downtime and whether they're using their downtime in a way that charges them up or further wears them out. In regards to the opioid crisis, taking a good solid look at how you perceive people's choice in an addiction is very, very important. I would argue that as frustrating as it is to try to help somebody over and over again, one has to recognize that when an individual is fully addicted, they're not really choosing to be addicted. And that is a hard construct to get across and a hard construct to internalize yourself. But I think the root of stigma regarding addiction is that it is a choice. And yet people don't actually choose any disease. They don't come into the world saying, yeah, sign me up for this, that, and the other disease because I want to suffer and I want to put my family through all sorts of hell, and I want to make sure that I'm a burden on society. Nobody arrives on the planet that way. So the second thing regarding compassion fatigue that I encourage people to do is really look at your own biases and see if you can lighten those biases in a way that is more effective for the work that you have to do. Because whether a person 
is dying of a heart attack or whether a person is dying of an overdose, they're still a person and you still have to show up. And your job is to take care of them as the best paramedic or medic that you can be. And then the third thing I think that people can do with compassion fatigue is to talk to peers and talk to peers who have themselves struggled with enthusiasm for the job for certain types of medical calls. Usually peers have some very good pragmatic solutions that can help lighten the burden of a compassion fatigue situation. And usually peers can also help troubleshoot whether you're resting effectively or not. Those are my three points for responding to detected compassion fatigue before it turns into a burnout. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Gulliver, and for sharing this information with our members. Thank you, Sarah. To access the other videos and podcasts in this series, visit opioidepidemic.iff.org. Content was supported by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy under award number UH4ES009759.